everyone, and welcome to episode 16. We have a little mini episode coming at you of the big life. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. First of all, we are so thankful for all of you guys, all of our listeners who tune in, all the support we've gotten throughout this season. And, you know, I think Jordan and I will get into it a bit, but we might need that support a little bit right now, but to the both of us. So Jordan, how are you doing? Oh, what a, what a big question there, Sam. Um, I'm, I'm hanging in there. You know, it's definitely episode 16. We talk about it every every week, how we can't believe how fast it goes by. But when it all comes to an end and you really start to kind of break it down, so much happens throughout the season. So many things go down and both of our seasons ended up ending this last week, unfortunately. So we get to now sit in that and kind of process all of those nice emotions go along with it. And, uh, you know, for us, we just got back late last night. We are the very, very beginning of that kind of, you know, process to figure out what this season has meant to us, both as an individual and as a team basis. But overall, it's just, it's sad, you know, it's just a sad feeling to have it all close out, come to an end. And I'm sure we'll get into it probably more next week once we really have time to process everything and figure out what this season has meant to us. Um, but, you know, you're sad to, to see it come to an end and close out. How are you doing? Oh, great question. Um, you know, I was talking to my coaches today. I was actually in my coach's office for about an hour this morning, which, you know, only took two days for me to find my way back there. And it's it's all hitting me in waves still. Like, so for us, you know, both of us had historic years. And that's the first thing I think we need to call out and say and celebrate. I mean, for the first time in Michigan State history, the Michigan State women's soccer team made it to the Sweet 16 played a great game against BYU, unfortunately closing their season, but it was a, it was a tough game. It was one I know I was watching and on the edge of my seat on. And for us, we also had a historic season and made it to the round of 32 and came up just short against Georgia. And so, I mean, I've, I've felt so many things in the past couple of days. There's a lot, don't worry. You know, we've joked about me ugly crying constantly and it happened again. I said it would, and it did happen again, but this time for some good closure, um, on the field on Friday in South Carolina. And, you know, I'm sad, I'm happy, I'm proud. I'm so many things. And I think it just kind of keeps hitting you. Like, it's scary to say I'm no longer a college athlete. And my season and my career at the University of Iowa is done. And it's it's weird to say out loud. And even like, this is gonna sound really, odd but like I know I've given a lot to this program I know I've been here for five years but like this morning I was you know putting on whatever outfit and like I felt kind of weird putting on an Iowa soccer hoodie like it just is like oh like I'm not on the team anymore and that that hits you more than you know I don't think we would have had the legs for the round of 16 I know the team gave it all that they got I you know I'm so so proud of this group but it hurts and it is the end of an era. And like, I committed to the university of Iowa when I was 15 years old, I'm 23 now. So like this program has been in my life for eight years. And so for that to be over and it to be in a different aspect is, is weird. And I, I don't know how I feel about it yet. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole different batch of emotions. I'm sure for everyone else on the field, um, you know, no matter what you're feeling kind of as the game goes on, once that whistle blows and you look around you're just, you're sad to see those seniors go and know that that's the last time stepping onto the field with them. And that's really just 
the only thing that goes on for the next, you know, 24, 48 hours that you're feeling is just, you know, that gratitude to them for giving everything they have to the program, the university, um, and to you, leaving it all out on the field. And uh, you're just, you're sad to see it all come to an end and to move on from it. So for me, like, I am so grateful I have another year. You know, I'm officially a senior in terms of the Michigan State soccer program. End of season is just, it's weird. It's its a weird mix of emotions. You're happy that you made it so far. You're grateful to everything that's happened. You're, you know, sad to see it all come to an end. The crazy thing, I feel like a season goes by, like we said, so crazily quick, but it's also, there's so many chapters. Like, we went to Florida Gulf Coast this year and played for our first season game. And like, that feels like it was about three years ago. Um, even like two weeks ago, we won the Big Ten Tournament Championship. And that feels like it was about a year ago. Like, it's so crazy how fast everything goes and how like you have to turn off celebrating one thing because it's on to the next. And everything is always like, wrap that up, move on, wrap that up, move on for so long that like this period is so sad, but it's also like, oh, I can actually like step back you know, like for myself, you know, you're wrapping up, you're typing your typical fifth year senior goodbye to the Iowa soccer program post as we all on my team, I felt like we're doing this weekend. And like, I look back on it and like, I don't define my career by stats in any means, but like, dang, I've played some numbers and like, I'm beyond proud of that. Uh, I mean, COVID had played a large part of it being healthy for five years, which I was joking with my coach earlier, how in God's name did that happen? Like that was just a blessing that, you know, someone bestowed on me being able to stay healthy for five years, but I played in 97 college soccer games in my career in fall, like fall seasons only like competitive real season games started 96 of them. Both of those are Iowa soccer program history records. So like officially the most, and then against Georgia. So sorry, Sarah Wheaton, who's one year older than me, who had a fifth year, I officially broke the minute record. So like I'm leaving as the person who's worn the Hawkeye uniform the most in program history. And so like, I mean, how could I be nothing but pride in that? And like in a team, like we've won two big 10 tournament championships in program history, both were during my career. We've been to the round of 32 twice in program history, both during my career. So like, I have nothing but to be proud of, but it's also just like, oh, like all of that's over. And now there's this giant question of what's next. And that's a whole nother question that I have to deal with tackling over the next couple of weeks. Like we're all kind of joking around talking. Like I get married in 20 days, Jordan. I am 20 days from getting married. That's terrifying. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> so like, I've been so focused on season and everything that like my fiance has just turned into the wedding planner and I just focus on soccer. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh, like we're getting married. That's a thing that's happening too. So life's a bit crazy right now. It's a bit of an emotional whirlwind, Um, but we're just, we're, we're on the right of it. We're on a path. Oh yeah. I mean, if there's anything we've learned from Dean Linky, it's that Sam Carey's life is anything but boring. You know, always spending 25 out of the 24 hours we have. Seriously, don't know how you do it, but you know, incredibly proud of you. There's no one better, I think, to represent the Iowa program and to wear that uniform the most. I think it's very, very fitting. And it's incredible what we've done here um, with this podcast. It's something I'm super, super proud of. We've kind of journaled our entire college season thus far and to see it all come to a close. It's it's absolutely crazy how far, how far we've come and how much we've been able to accomplish. So thank you guys for giving us this platform and allowing us to do this with you. Absolutely. So Jordan, let's talk a bit deeper 
talk, tell me about your game against Harvard. You know, that was a crazy game. I watched all of it. Um, game winner off of a PK, all this stuff. Talk about the emotions of winning that game in the round of 32 and what that meant to big program history. Yeah, just a little bit of logistics for anyone who doesn't know. So once you make the NCAA tournament, they will actually pay for 22, which is the number of players you're allowed to uh, roster and wear the jerseys. They'll pay for you guys to kind of go out there and for your travel expenses. Michigan State, what we did for this tournament was that we picked up the tab for the other eight of us. So all 30 players, we chartered down there and we had the whole team with us for that those two games, which was Harvard, we ended up winning one nothing, and then BYU, which we unfortunately lost in the round of 16. But going into that Harvard game, knowing that it was going to make history, knowing what's on the line, um, we spent an incredible amount of time preparing for it. We felt very ready, felt very prepared. And I think once the game like came up, once that time came, there was no doubt we were going to win it. When you look back, I think for us, TCU last year, which is when we lost in the second round, there was a lot of nerds, a lot of like, what ifs, we've never made it this far, all this stuff. This year felt very, very different. It was a lot calmer. It was almost like, duh, like we're going to win this. Like there was no other option. There was no other feeling we were going to win that game. And um, once it started, we knew, like we felt good, things were going our way. And I mean, the game was close. Don't get me wrong. Harvard had you know great game. They put up a lot of great shots to end it. Um, it was definitely a nail biter, but I very, very confident that this one was going to go our way and to see it all come and to know we made history again as a team and as a program and to have everyone there. Such, such an incredible feeling, very, very euphoric, just that celebration and then going back to the hotel later that night and just kind of debriefing it all and being like this, we did it. It was a, a great feeling. Yeah, it has to be. You know, it's interesting. Like, I think that was the one element we may have been missing against Georgia. And we are confident. We we knew we, like, the biggest thing for us, and we've, we've said it all year, Iowa's always an underestimated team in our opinion. You know, we're always like, oh, and then there's Iowa. And even the marketing that was around the game was, like, making us extremely mad. There was marketing, you know, by people such as, like, the NCAA that were saying, oh, Georgia expects to be here. Iowa's happy to be here was the tagline of the game. And we were like, if that doesn't make you mad, like what else does? Like no one respects us. And we, and we knew that. And Georgia's a great team. They're the SEC tournament champions, but we're the big 10 tournament champions. Like let's go here. And so, I mean, it was a battle and like, that's what I'm most proud of. And I even said it to my mom before the game, like at the end of the day, I knew what I was facing. Like you lose and my career is done at this point. And I said, you know, no matter what happens, I can't always control that. But what I can control is that myself. And then I try my best to get my team to leave everything on the field. And that's what I'm beyond proud of that we did. And, you know, it was zero, zero at halftime. We felt good. We had the better chances. You know, we were moving the ball. Like I remember going to halftime, like we're winning this game. Like we got this. And I just, I felt great about how, what we were doing out there. And second half got a little crazy. I don't know if I've seen a five goal second game half in a, or second half of the game in a lot, while. Um, but that just shows how close it was. And I think, you know, we, we just left it all in the field and it just didn't bounce our way. So Georgia scores first and I think three minutes later, we answered, make it one, one, they score second. And so at this point we're like just throwing numbers forward. Cause what do you have to lose at that point? And unfortunately they scored third to make it three to one. And with a minute and 45 seconds left, we got our second and I mean, in the last minute, we hit the crossbar, we hit the post, we had a great, like, there was so many 
like you're like dang like it's almost like sometimes you're like the soccer gods aren't on your side like they didn't really feel on our side against Georgia I'll say that but you know when that final whistle blew like I did the whole collapse to my knees my team you know ran around me everything but like there's nothing but pride in that game and you know like as much as I like think we maybe would have left one game on the table and we could have taken Georgia I also you know don't know how quickly we could have recovered with the one day recovery going into Clemson and you know, there's a lot of factors that, that would have, could have, should have of it all. But like also this year, you know, like I said, my fifth year, we were projected to finish 10th in the big 10. We were projected to not even make the big 10 tournament and to win the, and then frankly, but we got into the big 10 tournament by the skin of our teeth. We've joked about that. We've talked about it. And then to win the big 10 championship, to make it to the round of 32, to play Georgia so tight, like there's nothing that you can leave with your head down on and that's the biggest part that you can remember yeah absolutely so that's the second round of the tournament so in terms of big 10 teams you have michigan state nebraska and penn state all advancing to the round of 16 while unfortunately iowa and wisconsin get knocked out so now we have that's our we played on thursday um because byu doesn't play on sundays so while everyone else played on friday michigan state played on Thursday, Michigan State and BYU. Now we're playing on Saturday before everyone else's game. And we we end up losing, you know, three to one. And I got to just give props to BYU. I think there's not much I felt walking away from that game that we could have done. Um, of course, there's little moments that you keep replaying in your head. But overall, I mean, the goals were were valid. You know, they were incredible goals. The PK we had... Um, whether or not it was a PK, they kind of scored on it anyways. So it was like, it saved us. And then they ended up scoring on the PK. So it all just kind of washed out. But yeah, I mean, we knew it was going to be really, really hard going into it, having only a one day recovery, essentially. It was a really strange schedule we had where we didn't practice then. Um, We didn't get on a ball, do anything, kind of just did active recovery with stretching, foam rolling, you know, treatment plans, stuff like that. And then we had a lot of scouts. It was probably the most information we got on the team in the quickest amount of time we've ever had. Film, a lot of scout the next day. We didn't end up playing until 6 p.m. on Saturday. So we had kind of that whole morning, too, to kind of review the game plan, figure things out, go over it, and then prep. So, yeah, we just did a lot of active recovery, a lot of scout, a lot of film, got a lot of meals, which I'm going to miss as the season comes to an end, let me tell you um gonna definitely miss those those team meals and that per diem but yeah so I mean it was I didn't expect it to really hit as hard because I was so proud of everything we've done I was like it was a good loss it was a good season but the second that whistle blows you look around and you realize that's the last time you're going to step foot on the field with some of those players everyone just starts breaking down and we knew it was three to one so you kind of were able to prepare yourself as the whistle and the time ran down didn't make it any easier let me tell you (laughs) I thought it would it didn't it was uh, such a hard thing to look around and have to say goodbye to these players on this field who poured their heart out to the program and the team and then sit in a hotel with them for another 24 hours where like last year we were at Notre Dame so we just got on a bus and went home this year, you're back at a hotel in Utah. We didn't leave until the next day on three separate flights. Um, some of us getting home, you know, between 5 p.m. was the first group. And then the last group wasn't until like 2 a.m. 
that they got back to East Lansing in our apartment. So it was a chaotic day of travel for the next day and just very, very strange situation to kind of find yourself in as you're, you know, processing all of those emotions and feelings of losing and seeing your season come to an end, something that you knew was going to happen, but nobody's ever prepared for, I think, you know? No, and it's hard because it's something that you can't prepare for because you can't think about those emotions while you're still in it. And like, that's something I've been battling. I feel like this entire season is how do you take in every moment, but also like not get too emotional. And like, there's so many different balances that come into play. And you're right. I mean, when that final whistle blows, like you're never ready, no matter how much you knew. Yeah, exactly. So unfortunately, we're the only team that lost in that round for the Big Ten tournament. You had Nebraska win four nothing over UC Irvine, and then Penn State won four to three in double overtime against SLU. So they're both advancing to the round of uh, eight here Friday, I believe. Yeah, and Clem it'll be a Clemson versus Penn State at Clemson, and then it'll be Nebraska against Stanford at Stanford. So two great games. Uh, definitely ones I know I'll be paying attention to huge shout out to Nebraska and Penn state. I mean, obviously it's everyone's goal to keep making it further and further. And, you know, now it's just go big 10 at this point. I think, you know, people don't value how much, like, like the entire time I was rooting for Michigan state and I know they were rooting for us and we were rooting for Wisconsin. Like you want your conference to do well at this point, selfishly, we're like, all right, Penn state has to win the national championship because then by mathematics, we beat Penn state. So we're the national champions. That's where our brains are at right now. Um, but I, I think that's how the math works, if that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of adding up for you guys. I think over here, like the Penn State, Michigan State beef goes goes deep, man. It's like anyone else in the Big Ten want to step it up? Like Nebraska, we got you all the way. Iowa, 100%. Penn State, good luck. <laughs> we have to. Oh, my gosh. So what does end of season look like, Jordan? You know, we're both on a little bit two different schedules right now. What now? What does the rest of the semester look like for you? Well, now we, I don't know, actually. I, we haven't figured out any of the plans at some point after this Thanksgiving break. We'll have a team meeting, kind of go over things. You'll start to have your coaches meetings, um, end of the year wrap ups with, you know, Jeff and the coaching staff as we move forward. And then I'm assuming we're not going to train again as a team with, coaches until after we get back from winter which is how it worked last year you'll have captain's practices and kind of open times where you can go and we'll get small-sided games things like that you can train on your own but there won't be anything super organized or structured until we get back in january you know and the rest of this time you get back from thanksgiving break and it's really only like two weeks before you have finals so locking in academically as we were student students instead of student athletes I think for a majority of this season and have to figure that out real quick you know figure looking at my uh D2L the other day and I think I'm becoming an academic victim a lot more than an academic whip weapon here <laughs> oh gosh oh gosh all right we got a little bit of time to fix that up we will right before finals I know um, yeah, Iowa looks a bit different. I like the University of Iowa does things a bit differently. So we don't have a fall break during the year, but it's attached to Thanksgiving. So I'm actually podcasting from my grandma's basement right now. Um, back in good old St. Louis. And yeah, so I got home today and I'll be home all week and then head back to Iowa. We're taking this week as our mandatory seven days off, which you're required to have after season ends. And then the team will start training on Monday. 
when we get back, we'll do a week's worth of training and then you hit dead week and then finals week. So it's just for a week. That's where it's kind of weird for me right now to figure out my place. You know, obviously, typically I wouldn't attend training next week, which sounds so crazy to say. And most, you know, people leaving the program aren't. However, that being said, I do want to continue my playing career as we've talked about. So the coaches have luckily signed all the waivers and paperwork. So the team hasn't gotten rid of scary carry quite yet. I will be at training next week. Sorry, guys, if you're listening, I know that probably breaks all your hearts, but yeah, I'll be with the group next week. And then yeah, all the fun of individual meetings and the chaos that kind of offsetting it from bring, which I know in future episodes, we're excited to kind of div- dive into all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Our NWSL draft is in about a month. Your name sliding in there? We are figuring that out in the next two weeks. Uh, I will keep the podcast updated as I figure out my own life, which is a very, very scary sentence to say out loud right now. I said I had a meeting with my coach this morning and we were like talking about so many options. I'm like, I am overwhelmed. So we'll figure that out. Um, TBD. But yeah, so speaking of, Jordan is working on her academic weapon status being reinstated. So she had an exam and studying to do while I took over the interview part of this podcast. So we are so excited to have our amazing sponsors who we talk about all the time, Ida Sports. They have their lead sports scientist who basically helps design the shoes, helps figure out, you know, different research as to like why this matters. You know, we talk about women's feet versus men's feet, adapting to women's bodies, you know, controlling the controllables and all these things. And, you know, you can't do that without a sports scientist. So we're so excited to be talking to Amelia Funnel, the lead sports scientist for Ida Sports and talking all things footwear, injury prevention, ACLs, everything we can talk about. So we're super excited about that. And we are sad that Jordan will be working on her academic weapon status, though she cannot wait to get an update on how it reinstates. Hopefully very, very quickly. And, you know, Big margins. Big margins. All right. So we are thankful for our incredible seasons, our incredible listeners, and Jordan's academic brain this Thanksgiving. And we hope that you all have safe travels, a happy holiday, and we cannot wait to talk to you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Big Life Podcast. You know, we talk all the time on this show about how much we love Ida sports, how much they mean to us. And since this episode's coming out on Thanksgiving, we thought what better than to talk about something we're truly grateful for. And that's ingenuity and creativity in the women's space. So who better than to have Amelia Funnelon from Ida sports. She is the lead sports scientist and really works with Ida and doing everything that they do. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. As you can tell, I told Amelia this earlier, you know, we're down one voice. Jordan is over here putting the student in student athlete and getting her exams done. So I have the honor of talking to Amelia today Mm -hmm. while Jordan does her fun exam. So we wish her all the best in that. That being said, all right, Amelia, first, can you just give us a little bit of background on Ida and like how everything came to be with what you all do? Yeah, definitely. So it's got a great story, actually. So first of all, Ida makes um develops and designs performance sports footwear for female athletes um so right now we're in the football space making you know football boots otherwise known as soccer cleats depending on where you are um but we also have a variety of athletes wearing our shoes that might be an ultimate frisbee player a rugby player um so they can kind of be used for a variety of different sports depending on the specific needs of that sport and the surface and all the players as well um, but interestingly, Ida kind of started on a mountain 
Um, so Laura Youngson, our co-founder, led a group of women to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro in a successful attempt to play the world's highest um, highest altitude football match for you know any any gender, and it happened to be a group of, group of women that were doing it. Um, so this group kind of included a bunch of ex and current international football players, um, as well as sports physios, coaches, all of that. And so kind of while on this big trek to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, she had a bunch of chats with these women and figured out that a lot of the women were actually wearing soccer cleats that were either kids or men's. And she found out that unlike in running shoes, where for many years now you've been able to go into a shop and go to a you know women's wall of running shoes unlike that in football or soccer that that didn't exist so it was basically all kind of soccer cleats were designed for men um and then in a term that is kind of laughed at now but they were then sh sh they used the term shrink it and pink it to then kind of market it towards women so they just put it in a smaller size throw some pink on it and there you go that was your women's kind of soccer cleat um, so Laura kind of recognized this need to kind of develop something that was designed specifically for females and, you know, for their needs on the pitch um, to be able to perform the best that they could. That's awesome. And so we're talking about, you know, obviously in so many facets of life, we've had this shrink it and pink it kind of mentality. What is the real difference between a men's and a women's soccer cleat? Like, why does it matter? Yeah. So there's been a lot of studies and, you know, foot scanning done throughout the past few years, um, actually decades of years. And it's been found that women tend to have differently differently shaped feet than men. So the ratio of the width at the ball of the foot um, compared to the heel is quite different. So we kind of describe it in easy, easy diagram of women's feet being more triangular and men's potentially being more rectangular because of that different ratio of width at the ball of the foot and the heel. So women might find that their heels are actually slipping a bunch in men's shoes. They might get loads of blisters back when I played um, quite seriously. When I was younger, I still I still play, but quite recreationally. Um, and back then I would wear shoes and I would remember having to bandage my feet up before every match, like with blister band-aids. And it was a whole process I had so that I wasn't, you know, torn up by the end of that match. And I, having worked at Ida now, we, we've heard this anecdotally from a lot of women have had that same kind of issue growing up in the sport so that's kind of a main difference and then there's some other you know different physiological needs of women as well um, women tend to be a lower body mass so there's different needs potentially for the sole or the underside of the shoe so with those you know studs on the bottom do those need to be as big for women versus men potentially not so that's kind of a big lens of thought in the sports science uh, world of soccer sorry keep going between football boot and soccer cleat but I'll just use them interchangeably um but in football boot design so that along with again another aspect is arch support as well women tend to have higher arches so providing a little bit more support under that arch can be quite helpful as well that's awesome that's so fascinating like looking into this and you know I feel like being a female athlete for so long we can address the fact that we live in a men's world in a lot of ways where it's just adapted so mm -hmm. differences and all that you know, one thing I'm really interested to hear about from you doing a bit of research on what you've talked about is the ignorance almost, you know, we've talked a lot about ACLs. And at this point, we know that women are about four to eight times more likely to tear their ACLs. Can you go a bit into like where that research even comes from and how ACL research even started? Yeah, I mean, in the sports science publication world, 
people have done a lot of work in all kinds of different sports. I mean, rugby as well, soccer, um, and looking at historically how how many injuries have happened in the sport. It can be quite difficult actually in women's sport because it hasn't been as televised. So with men's sport, that research is actually much easier because there's clips online of that sport that you can watch and see what exactly happened. You know, was it contact with another player? Was it a non-contact injury? Um, so with women's, it's actually quite difficult in years past because of that lack of, you know, actual media out there. Um, but recently it's a lot easier. So you'll find kind of these accounts of documenting women's injuries. I mean, we, Ida, have even done it keeping up with both the NWSL and the WSL and looking at all those different injuries. I've played a big role in kind of, I'm the boot expert, so I can look at their Instagram and see exactly what boot model they're wearing, what stud type they're wearing. Um, so that could be like a soft ground boot, which has the metal studs or a firm ground boot. Um, so there's different nuances in the boots that they're actually wearing as well. So that's where that research kind of comes from. And that's kind of why there's been a big discrepancy in it. And, you know, you hear four to eight, like that's quite a big range as well. So we're still narrowing that down and figure out exactly, you know, what that number is and what can we attribute causes to it because it is so multifaceted. So, I mean, there's no one thing and reason people can say. A lot of people throughout the years have loved to bring up Q angle over and over again. So the Q angle, if you're not aware, is a difference between kind of that hip angle compared to your knee. So women tend to have wider set um, hips compared to men. And so there's a different angle um, kinematically for women. So people love to harp on that, but that's an anatomical difference. What we're not going to go around like knocking everyone's hips in, are we? So there's not really any point on continuing continuing to harp on about that. Um, but there are so many others. This this tweet I love um, from Joanne Parsons. I can link you to it as well later if you want. But she kind of writes out this just handwritten diagram of you know you can tell it's been done pretty quickly, just scribbling right all these different factors, and it includes so many different factors for. ACL injury and risk of ACL injury and, and it varies from just social differences you know maybe women being the primary home you know caretaker or just generally lower pay um, you know anything from those social issues to then just differences in training growing up you know when they were younger they probably didn't have access to training or maybe it was a as a society seen weirder for women or young girls to be in the gym lifting weights um, so there's those kind of risk factors. There's even more anatomical risk factors, as well as at Ida, we like to focus on those that have to do with the footwear and the interaction with the surface. So that's what we really investigate and put a lot of time and effort to is how can we kind of create the perfect shoe to surface match for female athletes. So you play on a huge variety of surfaces. You could be playing on the muddiest pitch. I mean, my rec team in London plays and it's so muddy sometimes these pitches, you know, so you could be designing a boot for that or you could be designing a use for a pristine hybrid pitch. So a hybrid pitch is kind of like a natural grass, which has artificial fibers installed in it to make it last longer. So you'll see that at the big stadiums like Emirates Stadium and um, Wembley, you know, I'm talking England here, but you'll, you'll find them in the US too, obviously, and all the big big stages and so that's completely different type of surface and then you've got your artificial grass surfaces you know I, I could go on and on but that kind of shoe surface interaction is very important because if you think from a physics 
biomechanics standpoint, um, if you have too much rotational traction, so that's the force required at the surface to kind of pivot and release from the surface. If you've got too much rotational traction there, and it's called kind of foot fixation, so stick and twist injuries, you might hear that term as well. Um, so if you've got too much traction there, you might get stuck and then your knee will continue to move, but your foot won't, and then it will twist and it, that can be what's causing stress on your ligaments. Um, so that's kind of that big mechanism that we want to avoid. Um, and so we'll, we look to kind of design something that better supports the female athlete in those kind of situations. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And, you know, on this podcast, you know, myself being a division one soccer player, I'm spoiled in the sense of I get thrown like five pairs of cleats. I feel like at the start of the season and yeah. I have my typical cleats I wear, but I have my, you know, my soft ground cleats for those muddy days that are a bit longer mm -hmm. and all that stuff, you know, for the person who isn't as spoiled as me, what's kind of like the generic answer for this? Like when you play on turf, what should that stud look like compared to the muddy rec field that you play on? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we always say like, it's better to slip than get stuck. So if you've got kind of, you know, lower traction. So if you wear like a Astro or turf shoe, that's probably going to put you in a better situation on some of those artificial turf surfaces than, you know, you definitely wouldn't want to wear a metal stud on that. So there's like big ranges and there's different combinations of what you can wear and cannot wear. Even with artificial grass, you've got different generations of it so you can play on a second generation surface that's like a carpet you can play on a really nice pristine well-maintained 3g which has that rubber you know those annoying pellets that get get everywhere um so there's different levels of it and even a 3g pitch can be not well maintained you can find that that rubber crumb really densely packs in there and it feels completely different so even then we wouldn't just recommend one shoe but again you can't like some of these athletes and especially with women don't want to own six different pairs of shoes or can't afford to own six different pairs of shoes. So where do you stand? I mean, it's a great question. And a lot of the industry has kind of leaned towards this FG slash AG. So they say it can be used for both, you know, firm ground and artificial grass. Um, so Ida's boots specifically have more studs and shorter studs. So that is in order to better support the female athlete. Um, but also with those shorter studs and increased studs and also more round studs, it's said that we can then aim to kind of decrease that rotational traction on some of those denser pitches. Um, so maybe something like that. Again, there's multi-ground, like a lot of boot manufacturers are making multi-ground boots now. Um, so it can be quite confusing for the consumer as well. And I think education is the biggest aspect of it. So whether that's coming from your staff whether it's physios or kit men um, or if it's coming from the boot manufacturers themselves. But I think I've talked to a lot of parents of young, young athletes as well as athletes themselves, and they don't even know about all of this. And I remember when I first started, I didn't know about all of it. I remember I played futsal in Argentina. I was living in Argentina for a summer and I played futsal and I never played the sport before. It just wasn't big where I grew up. And I ended up getting AstroTurfs and we were playing on like kind of like a cement surface. And I probably should have just gotten like flat soled footsole shoes because the or, um, the Astros, you know, weren't that great. Like I would slip or I'd get stuck. And I just had no idea at the time, you know. So just making that clear, I think, is really important when we're talking injury as well, making it clear for the customers. That makes so much sense. Yeah. You know, 
one thing that like, I feel like we hear all the time in sports and it's, you know, all over the Ida website is at the end of the day, you can control what you can control. Like you alluded to mm-hmm. earlier, I can't control my hip angle. I can't control the mm-hmm. fact that I'm a female and I have hormones and all yeah. these other risk factors it is. What is it about Ida that helps control the controllables? Yeah, definitely. So I think it's providing a more comfortable fit. So our biggest, you'll find with a lot of um, just sports, sports in the sports product industry in general, it's a lot of focus on performance. You know, how can you be the fastest? We'll give you the lightest boot on the market and you'll be the fastest. But set, like when testing that product, they might just test it doing like a few lengths of a pitch. That's it. But think about 90 minutes. How is your foot going to feel in something that is light as a feather? I don't know if it's going to be very well supported. So with female athletes, we constantly hear just their number one design criteria is fit and comfort. Um, And through achieving fit and comfort, you will achieve performance because at the end of 90 minutes, you won't be thinking about your feet the entire time. You know, so you can think about the ball. You can think about the next pass you're going to make instead of thinking, oh, my God, I need to get out of these shoes. Um, So that's kind of the number one for Ida is always that focus on fit and comfort. And through that, we can then achieve performance. Um, So we do a lot of work with our athletes with custom like foot scanning, working with them to say, okay, maybe you should aim for this model. This will fit you a bit differently. This won't be a bit snugger Um, and kind of working to achieve that fit. So we're constantly working with that and working with last makers. So the shoe last is kind of what a shoe is made around so if you're in a factory you see a bunch of these models that look kind of like a foot but not really or if you're in like an old shoemaker's store you would see that as well like an old wooden last um so we've been working with a last maker in the uk and working to further develop our last kind of best suit that female athlete as well as there's a range of athletes right like even different ethnicities you know we we're kind of generalizing at one point here and we're starting with females as opposed to generalizing everyone. But even between ethnicities, there's a lot of foot differences that still needs to be further explored, to be honest. Um, and so even within females as well, you've got people with wider feet, narrow feet. And we always buy shoes based on length, but not necessarily width. So that's something that we're working towards at Ida as well as exploring that, you know, wider option. I myself, like, I'm very into this kind of I don't know if it's as big in the US, but kind of this barefoot movement of freeing our feet and wearing wider shoes as opposed to kind of constricting them to modern footwear. And within football boots, you know, it's a very narrow, slim, streamlined world where players want, and when we're talking players, maybe it's the elite players want boots that are super, super tight to their feet. I mean, I always heard anecdotes of players wearing like boots two sizes too small for them just because they want they want that feeling. But I myself as a recreational player, I don't want that. You know, I, I I go put my football boots on. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so much tighter than when I'm when I'm barefoot working from home or you know, wearing wider shoes. Um, so we're looking to kind of explore that lens of, you know, allowing our feet to move naturally and to have a wider fit so that we can then be able to correct our body posture. So if we're in like a an, in a position that might be you know higher risk our body can then activate our muscles to get us out of that position um so yeah that's a little a little bit of a rant but (laughs) no it's amazing it's so fascinating like you said like for the longest time we've lived in a world where research is just generalized by one Mm -hmm. you know splitting it by gender and then ethnicity and age and level and there's so many different factors so like I absolutely just love that we have people that are doing that research and looking into it you know Jordan and I talk on the podcast all the time about 
how, why we love Ida and like why we think that you guys are an extremely important company in the world of women's soccer that is growing so much. What is it about Ida for you that you truly love? Yeah, so I, I've talked a lot about, I mean, I am kind of the research lead, so I've talked a little bit about the science and all of that. But to be honest, what I love most is also the social aspect of it. So, I mean, going into a store, I've been into a store in England like a few years ago when I when I just moved over because I grew up in the States and I moved over there. And in the States, like you could go into a store and they'd at least pretend, you know, there was like fleets there for women or there was quite a big women's section. But in the UK, there was like, I was like, where's like the women's soccer section? Like, where can I buy some soccer shorts? And they like led me to this tiny rack of clothes. And I was like, are you serious? Like, this is it? Like, are you serious? Like, what, you know, what year are we in here? And I was just bewildered by it um, all. And I, it's, the US is actually, you know, quite ahead in terms of they've got a recognition of women in sport. We had Title IX. Um, you know, we've got some equity there, but other countries around the world, it's not there. I mean, like I said, I've I've lived in quite a few South American countries um, during my time at uni and really got to know kind of the sport over there as well. And I was in Argentina during the 2019 World Cup. And you think, oh, wow, that must be amazing. You know, Argentina's mad on football, but not women's, you know. I could barely find, I would sit in a cafe, be on a VPN to watch like the US women's um games and I don't know I I mean I hear that's why it's really exciting 2023 I've heard from some friends still over there you know like it seems to be getting a lot better um I have I was excited to be in Australia during it so I'm a little bit biased and I saw the buzz around it and maybe I didn't see in other countries but I've heard that you know it's it's growing and it's massive but from a social side back to Ida we want to kind of be there for young girls as they go into a store and you know say oh I want a new soccer shirt you know we want to be there for them and or new boots like they should go in and feel that they belong in the sport if that makes sense so that's kind of what I love the most about Ida's mission is you know we're here to kind of push the big brands to push ourselves if they're not going to do it to to show up for the female athlete whether it's a young girl or whether it's a woman who's 75 and still kicking around so interestingly, I'm also on a project in the UK where we're working with a lot of women over 50 and looking up, you know, how their feet have changed throughout their life as well. And it's it's a consistent thing. And we should be looking to kind of increase longevity of play and inclusion in play, both with injury as well as the social side of feeling like you belong in the sport, feeling like big thing for women of over 50 has been after giving birth to kids they've just like really struggled to get back into the sport so helping you know support them through that and getting back into sport to stay active healthy as well as socially engaged as well no that's that's absolutely amazing like we've said before we're so thankful for Ida and everything that they're doing we love bringing them stateside I know I love wearing my Ida cleats whenever I can there's one of my favorite ones I got the all white rises those things nice. are like, just feel good when I just them. wait till next year we got an upgrade <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We got, we got a little inside scoop here. Well, yeah, early next year. Keep an eye out. All right. Thank you so much for joining the pod. We are so thankful for everything that you all do. And truly, it means the world to a female athlete like me to be able to walk into a store and see everything. So it's remarkable. And thank you so much. Well, everyone, there you have it. Thank you so much for spending your Thanksgiving with us. Everyone, we are so thankful for Girls Soccer Network, for Ida Sports, for all of you guys' listeners. You know, 
obviously this journey has been absolutely remarkable talking about our college soccer experiences, talking about and documenting the season alongside Jordan and, you know, watching the game grow in certain ways, like Amelia talks about with Ida and being able to walk into a store and see that women's soccer section growing. It's been remarkable to see over my time as an, as a soccer player. And I just, I can't wait for the more growth and, it's something I'm truly thankful for this year. So don't worry. The big life is not over. Even though Jordan and I are both out of season, we have so many exciting topics to talk about, talking about transfer portal, talking about end of year meetings and what that can look at. And finally, maybe getting Iowa soccer coach, David Diani on the pod. There's so much going on and I cannot wait to bring it all to you. As always, reach out if you have questions, if you have topics you want us to talk about, we always want to hear your insight and thank you so much.